make a deal with Netflix and you don't have money that comes into you forever. You get paid and then money 20% more or 30% more, but you that's it. It didn't come natural to me. There's so many things that I think about now I wish I had known when I was younger. What I believe resonates with people who are particularly now is content that has some sort of meaning to it. It's more than just pure entertainment. And so suddenly MTV was the only thing it seemed in the whole world and all of Hollywood and everybody else was taking their cues from this startup. I did not know a single writer when I became a writer. I think if you're trying to become a writer from someplace other than Los Angeles and New York, I still think that's really difficult. Welcome to Entertainment Business Wisdom with your host, Kaya Alexander. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Kaya Alexander, the host of Entertainment Business Wisdom. Really excited to be here today with my special guest, Glenn Mazzara. We're recording live in front of the students of the Entertainment Business School. Let me tell you about Glenn. So Glenn is the creator, executive producer, and showrunner of A&E's new series, Damien, based on the classic horror film, The Omen. He was most recently executive producer and showrunner for several seasons of The Walking Dead. The series earned him two Saturn Awards, Brahms Stoker Award for Superior Achievement and Screenplay for the season three finale, as well as a WGA nomination for his writing on season one. Mazzara's body of work includes AFI, Golden Globe, and Emmy Award-winning series The Shield, for which he earned a Peabody Award, CBS's NAS. Nash Bridges, and NBC's Life. He ran season two of TNT's medical drama Hawthorne and created the series Crash, the first scripted drama on Stars. On the feature side, he's written The Overlook Hotel, a prequel to Stanley Kubrick's classic film, The Shining. The film which Mark Romanek is attached to direct is currently in development. An advocate and practitioner of diversity in front of the camera, in the director's chair, in the writer's room, Mazara is co-chair of the Writers Guild of America's Diversity Advisory Group and has been working to improve television employment opportunities for writers of diverse backgrounds. And he's passionate about mentorship. Welcome, Glenn. Great. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm so glad that you're here. I've really enjoyed learning about you and reading about you coming into our interview today. And we're this week in the Entertainment Business School talking about reputation management. And I have to tell you, your reputation precedes you because everyone I've talked to (laughs) has said, oh, Glenn, he's the nicest guy. He really cares about writers. Oh, he wants to make the industry a better place. He is one of the guys who's really doing the hard work of making it better for everyone here. So I got to say thank you. I got to say Well, that's very nice. Thank you. That's good to hear. (laughs) Thank you. Of everything you've done in your career, what are you most passionate about right now? Mm, uh, That's interesting. I think there's a few things. I think one, right now, I'm very passionate about... um, a new project, a very personal project that I'm probably going to write in prose form before I, if I'm not even sure if I would develop it for film or TV, it could be a TV show, but it's so personal that I don't want to subject it to the usual development process. So I kind of want to figure it out by myself. So that's exciting artistically. 
And then on the professional front, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate. I get offered to sign on to develop IP and stuff. But one of, one of the things that's, that I've pushed for the past few years is to, you know, attach as a producer and a co-showrunner to people who may not have that experience. You know, I think what happens now is that there's a lot of folks who um, are ready to run shows, but unfortunately, there's still a systemic pushback. Well, you haven't done it yet, you know, and so if I can lend some of my credibility and my experience to younger writers or emerging writers or, you know, marginalized, underrepresented writers to help them tell their stories. So that, that's been interesting. That's been kind of bringing me into, you know, a very diverse set of stories. And, and uh, so I'm, I'm excited about that because I think that feels like a new chapter. So, so um, to kind of help other people get up and, and running. So I'm excited about that. That's really cool. You have a ringside seat to what is happening, what's being developed. What are you seeing? Well, I'll tell you, there's uh, right now it's all about IP, you know, and I was just sent something an hour ago that is really developing IP uh, about um, a set of NFTs. Uh, They're basically um, emojis. You know, there's no story. It's not based on a game or anything. It's just a computer generating characters. And they're saying, we want this to be a series. And so that's the IP. There's really no, it's literally just computer generated figures. There's no, I'm sure there's design team involved, but there's no story. There's no story. So um, that's, it tells you something. I mean, you you know, there's, uh, if you think about how terrified executives must be that the number one show this year is Squid Game or last year, you know, that, that it's not based on an IP. It's a foreign format, you know. Um, no stars, as far as I know, you know what I mean? And so it goes against all of the rules that people are looking for. So you would think they would loosen up the rules, <laughs> but no, it feels like things are doubling down. And it's really about the hunt for IP and focusing about on the hunt for IP. And it's just, and right now, you know, anything could be IP. You know, I've been offered um, stuff about, you know, um, uh, fashion wear, the line of fashion wear. Let's build a show around that. So it's about, you know, brands. So the definition of IP is expanding to yes. include. Yes. Like yes. it's not it's not just a novel or a remake right. of a film or whatever it's really just any any thing that could be sold I, I feel instinctually like there could be just a, a giant belly flop that happens out of this what's your feeling well what do you mean in what way well if you're gonna base with there's no story to two emojis i mean of course we can give it to human imagination and hire amazing writers and all the rest to craft it but with with those roots do you think that there's enough there to say oh great let's green light that well it's a couple of things it's it's i think it can work 
in the sense that the executives in the studios are going to back it. They're going to produce it. That's good. You know, if it's good, I mean, listen, these executives are not dumbbells. They're smart people. So they're not going to green light something that's not ready to go. Hopefully, you know what I'm saying? So I think they're, they're going to do their, their work. So there's an opportunity for the writers to, to come in and do it. Now, if we think about TV, I mean, TV comes out of radio, not film. And it was there to sell soap. Okay. So these things were based around commercials. So the idea that TV now, so we sort of went through this thing where, you know, to market certain type of TV, they said it was more cinematic than TV. Okay. It's not HBO, you know, it's not TV, it's HBO, that kind of thing. So that was a marketing ploy for, for new TV markets, but TV has always, so for TV to circle back to its roots, is not really surprising, right? So, so, so I think there's an opportunity because people are interested, and if somebody's creative and imaginative, and you can figure out a story, great. Where it falls short is that the stories that work, uh, you know, the artist has personal investment in it. You know, Squid Game works because that creator was going through a personal hell. <laughs> okay. So if I'm going to, you know, create a show about sneakers, I have to really sort of how am I invested in that world? I would not be the right guy for that. You know, but so that's where I think you have to make sure that it could for it to really succeed in the way that they want um it still has to have a personal component. And that would just be an individual question for the for the artist. So yes, you can go and develop something that somebody's interested in, but if you don't have something to say, if you're just doing it, then you're just collecting a paycheck and chances are that story will fall flat. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The strength of that kind of IP that it has an existing brand or audience reach. Mm-hmm. Say that again. Is the strength of that kind of IP, like an NFT or like a, a sneaker, that it is bringing brand recognition, an existing audience to I the. Get, probably not. Probably not. I mean, you know, I don't know if people are looking at brands and saying, I wish I had m- more of this brand in a different medium. Right. You know, so so you do have brand recognition, but I don't know if that but you know, people go to TV for stories. They go for entertainment. They don't go to be sold things. You know, I think the audience is savvy. So if there's, you know, and we all we all can feel it. You know, like like for the most part like I do a lot of genre, right? Horror, sci-fi, that kind of stuff. So Genre fans want things to succeed, you know, and they'll, they'll they'll go see Batman 500 times. And if it's done well, they'll show up 
and you'll have record breaking the Batman or whatever, you know, or it's doing well or whatever you want to say. But people are excited about that. How many Batman iterations have we had? So they'll keep going. So, yes, you have the brand recognition, but it still has to succeed because if it doesn't, you you run the risk of hurting that that uh, franchise. You know what I mean? I think I think you know the, some of the Star Wars films, you know, went to the well a little bit too much. You know, um, say the Solo. You know, people didn't respond, and they said, you know what, we're 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 flooding the market. We need to pull back. So I don't know if that answers your question, but it's there's a, there's you know people still are going to want something. You know, there has to be a there there. Is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. I, I do because we go to the movies or we watch something to feel something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't evoke feelings if the writer hasn't gone deep. And we see that, you know, see that all the time with all the scripts that I read as a development exec. And I was always championing the scripts that made me feel something, that made me cry, that made me feel more alive, that made me feel more connected to my own human experience. And I think that that really ripples through to audiences. Mm-hmm. Let's circle back and talk about um, the mentoring that you're doing, working with these um, young or diverse writers who you're saying, hey, I can jump on as a showrunner to help you get this buttoned up. Tell us more about that. Well, I mean, that's so. So, you know, I was on the shield, you know, in the early 2000s. In the mid 2000s and i really started then because we really had a writing staff of primarily white middle-aged guys writing for characters and for a community that were mostly people of color and so it felt to me inauthentic at some point so even though i believe in our work and felt it was a you know but i wanted to to make it as authentic as possible and I started to encounter a systemic pushback that one, people did not want change and that there were a lot of people who were underrepresented and who were marginalized and being kept out of the system, deliberately either being kept out of the system or once they were in the system, being forced back out of the system. So I started sort of speaking to people and, and trying to understand this and, and became a spokesperson for change. Okay. So, um, so I, I have always been interested in connecting with writers and helping them come up. So, so even though I'm attaching as a producer to several projects, and again, it depends on the project. I have to find a personal connection to the project. I have to realize, you know, why do I have to be involved? You know, am I bringing something to this particular project? Um, but most of what I do is I do panels like this. I, 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 um, I'm the um, co-chair of the Inclusion and Equity Group at the, the Writers Guild. We just had a meeting this morning with 30 people on that. I, just, I was running a minute late. I was talking to a, a writer who has something he wants to get through the Guild, um, that, um, you know, creating a new committee for a group of writers. Um, I spend a lot of time every week just one-on-ones you know, doing Zooms with people, just, you know, reading scripts or talking. And, and I don't charge for that or anything. I just kind of feel it's my kind of my particular space in Hollywood to just try to help other writers 
find their way. You know, I find that I get a lot out of it as a writer. You know, I it's a way to talk about writing without having to actually write anything myself. So it's a great way to procrastinate and still feel like you're <laughs> you're in the business. So that's that's kind of interesting. But I I spend a lot of time doing that. And some some weeks you can do I can do more of that than my own projects. But um I feel like that's um uh it's a big part of my career. Sounds like it's a big part of what you love doing because not everybody does that. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy it. I mean, I, I think I've been lucky. I mean, you know, there's people on this thing that I've connected with in, in different formats and stuff. And, and so I, I, um, I enjoy it. You know, last night I did, I teach this class at the writer's guild called the writer's access project. And, um, it's a five week course last night was was supposed to be two hours and went almost three and we're you know helping writers figure out how to promote themselves how to talk about themselves in an interview process that's a skill that writers are not very facile at you know it's uncomfortable most writers like to be behind the scenes we don't like to talk about ourselves we don't like to blow our own horn that kind of stuff you know, right. So, but yet, how do you, how do you put your, your best foot forward in an interview? And some of the stories that these writers were telling, so we would kind of workshop in their stories and, and the stuff that, you know, people are bringing to the table and the stories that they have to tell is really interesting. So I enjoyed it. Yes. It was three hours late at night. You know, I didn't eat until 10 o'clock last night, but, but I felt like, wow, I got something out of it, you know, and, and I felt like I helped those writers. So, um, I do enjoy it. It's fun to have a front seat too with those transformations and breakthroughs. I call yeah. it putting it in the front window. Writers will often keep the most fascinating things about themselves. They'll save it for last or it just won't end up in the front window. And when they make those discoveries about what's really landing with someone in front of them, it, you, it's just so you fall in love with them. You fall in love with who they really are and that you can really see them. But yeah, for a lot of them, it doesn't come naturally, does it? No, I, I find that people, when, when we're out of a, a job, you know, you go in on a job interview, people tend to make themselves small. They feel to, they, they sometimes uh, um, feel sheepish or, or, or shamed in some way that they don't have the job. I'm like, well, it's a job interview. And, and the person interviewing you has a problem. They have a vacancy. So be the solution for their problem. You know, and you're the talent and they want to meet with you. They like your script. They've called you in for a meeting. So now what else are you offering besides your writing skills? What else are you bringing to the table? And, and, but that's, so a lot of times people just sort of run their resume. Oh, I went to this school. I worked as an assistant here. I did that. But that's not necessarily telling me what the skills you have that you're bringing to the table because it's my job as the showrunner. I need to find people that I can exploit their skills so that I can make a good show and not get fired and we can all stay employed. That's the game. So I'm really looking as, you know, how can you be a part of my team? What type of questions do you ask in a job interview when you're on the hiring side? Well, you know what, as a, 
I will not ask what shows are you watching. I don't care. I don't think it's, I hate when people ask me that. My answer is always, it's none of your business. That's a dumb question. That's a great question. So what's that? But people ask that question. I ask, what are you writing right now? You know, or I would ask, what have you written over the pandemic or whatever? And I like to, I, it's important for me. I, I'm, as a producer, I'm always writing. Okay. Many writers get into a supervisory role and they stop writing. Writing's a dreadful business and it's painful and, and releases demons and stuff. So nobody wants to go through it. But I see myself as a writer. So I want to surround on my writing team. I want to surround myself with other writers. I want writers, writers, you know. So I'll ask them, what are they writing? And if they say, well, I'm kind of putting together an idea for this and I'm waiting for my uh, agent to get back to me with notes or I sent a list to my manager and they're going to decide, you know, I'm like, okay, that's not taking the initiative as an artist. This person's, you know, just not, it, it, it doesn't feel like they're a closer at that point. I want somebody who's like, well, yeah, I've got this crazy ass story and it makes no sense and I'm working on this or I just finished this and I've got these 10 other things I want to write. I, I want that enthusiasm there, you know? Um, so, um, that's a big question that I ask. Yeah, thank you. Um, I want to talk to you about diversity and inclusion because it's such a core piece of who you are and what you've brought to the industry. What do you think? Here we are, year three of the pandemic. Are we getting any better? R regarding inclusion and, and diversity yeah, in the business? inclusion and diversity. Post Me Too, Post Time's Up, Black Lives Matter. And well, are, are, where are we? Where do you see we are? Yeah, okay. That's a great question. I do think things have improved because when we initially started having this conversation, people asked, why are we talking about this? So there, so we had to justify the conversation. We had to say, you know, this is what we're talking about. This is a problem. People are being discriminated against. People are being forced out of the system, that kind of stuff. So I think that people now realize that, that Hollywood has not had their act together for 100 years, and there is a concerted effort to correct that. Okay? So I think people are working in good faith to change it. I don't think people are necessarily just paying lip service or, you know, I, I, I think people have bought into the fundamental change that needs to, to you know, take place. I worry about two things is I worry that there's a backlash in which white men who have had a, num uh, a certain amount of privilege in these jobs are now competing against very talented, very hungry um, emerging writers. And that competition is, is being, you know, thought of of oh well they're just hiring a woman they're just hiring a person of color well, no that woman is uh, f going up against fucking 50 other people she can write 
a person of color is going up against 50 other people, they can really write, okay? And, they, and they're bringing it. So to dismiss people, okay, because of, of, because, uh, of other traits is unfair. And so then there's this whole, well, a white guy can't get a job. We don't have numbers that support that. That's, that's not true. Okay. The numbers have increased for the underrepresented writers a couple of percentage points, but there's, there's no major shift. So that's anecdotal. And, 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 but um, a lot of white guys, working white guys who may have, be, ha- have trouble competing right now are they're playing the race card. They're playing the gender card. So I, I think that's a problem. Okay. That's a problem. And I, because I don't buy into their narrative. Okay. And, uh, and listen, I'm a white middle-aged guy and I've lost out on jobs over the past year. That's fine. You know what I'm saying? So, okay. So it bounced somebody else's way. I still need to get a job. So I'm just going to double down and go get something else. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's that's it's it's a business of rejection. So that's that's one thing. Two is that I do worry that a lot of the um, development executives are buying stories from these underrepresented groups without really any intention of greenlighting them. They're kind of, <laughs> I think, cooking the books. Well, we have all this stuff in development, but we're still going to back and buy a thousand projects from our main top producers. So I'm not necessarily sure. I haven't seen the buying spree translate into, you know, a a, a very different landscape on TV. You know what I'm saying? And I know that a lot of people are, are, you know, um, getting deals and 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 developing and have a number of shows in development, but you know, I think some of the backroom talk I'm hearing is, yeah, but they can't run a show or this or that. So it it it, it feels a little disingenuous, and I I could be wrong, but I'm hearing that from multiple sources. So I'd like to see how that plays out too. And that sounds like a catch and kill scheme that you're describing. Maybe. I'm not really familiar with that term, so I couldn't speak to that. What does that mean? Out of the um, sphere of, of journalism, um, like Ronan Farrow has reported on, to catch a story and then only to kill it, only to not publish or not release it. Um, if there's so much that's in development. For- it's not that they're, tr- they're killing it. I think they're just hoarding these stories, but there's not necessarily. But I, I don't know if they're really... Um, green lighting those stories, you know what I'm saying? So, so, so I guess the positive is at least they've changed the development, but I haven't seen now in fairness, a lot of the business has been shut down because of the pandemic. Things are just getting back into production. So that's why we need to wait and see. What do you feel about the rise of streaming during the pandemic? What have you seen shift? Um, well, I think it's been interesting that, you know, um, HBO Max was, you know, releasing their films and, and then, you know, I'm not sure if they're still doing that. Like, is the Batman a Warner Brothers 
movie and is that on but that's not on hbo max right that's only in the theaters but so they've changed that plan i guess right i I think that there's been experimentation happening across all the networks and um the streamers so but you know i think i think the um you know i think there's there's everyone's trying still trying to find their way i know paramount plus is i believe they're they're dropping um a couple of episodes and then releasing once you know so it's different schedules you know i don't i i i will say that what's interesting is that a lot of the the shows um during the pandemic the appetite was nobody wants dark you know, nobody wants, everybody wants hope. Everybody wants fun. You know, this is what we need to develop. Okay. Squid Game's doing well. The Batman's doing well. You know what I mean? So that's not necessarily true. And the other thing is that these places are all stocked up and, and their cupboards are full. So I know of many streamers that if you go to, I'm going to go out with some projects soon. And I've been told if you go to this streamer, you know, they're, they're, they have their, their, um, what they're going to release, their release schedule is full for the next three years. So, so you actually are developing material now that won't make it to air for three to four years. You know, I spent, I spent, you know, uh, the, the, the bio you read was a, a little dated. I'm sorry if I sent that to you because it said that, you know, Damien was my new show. Damien came and went. And then what I did was I spent three years developing Stephen King's Dark Tower series for Amazon. I spent three years and then that we shot it. We shot a large pilot in, um, in Croatia and that was not picked up by the end of 2019. But I spent three years developing stuff. Wow. I know I'm friendly with a lot of writers on Twitter. And I know people are now spending two, three years developing. I just had a project that died at a network. I sold it the week before the pandemic. And I've been working on it for over two years. So so the, so the because the streamers have been... Um, have had so much money and developed so much stuff that you have, there used to be in Hollywood, you can make a living developing movies and those movies never get shot. But TV was a grind. I think that old (laughs) film model has now hit TV where you can develop the hell out of something for a long time and maybe it never goes, you know, and that's difficult because who wants to write stuff that just doesn't get shot? You know, the other thing that I think is I do feel there's a, uh, I, I sense anxiety, um, sometimes maybe less now, but certainly during the pandemic, uh, the height of the pandemic, a lot of anxiety with executives because I feel that and I was trying to put my finger on it. And I think, I think what's happened with streaming is that the streaming companies are basically IT companies who hired Hollywood people who are used to Hollywood culture, a studio culture. But now that doesn't work in the IT company. So I know that, you know, Amazon, Apple, you know, Netflix, it's a different type of business there. But people came up in one culture and now they're kind of 
working in a, a, a different one, if you will, or, you know, internally. I think that cre- has created some anxiety there. I think, I think, you know, it seems to be settling now, but I think there was a shift where a lot of executives and you should ask executives about this or maybe you you know what do you think but i i kind of felt like a lot of them were not sure like how does this place actually work i mean the executives who came up in film and television yeah and now they're working over at netflix or apple and they're like how does this work how how do we what's the method there or whatever you know it was such a it was such a human business and that human beings created the the product the film the television show greenlit by people who were going off of their instincts or their gut hunches for yeah we want to watch that show let's make that one and not this one um and now a lot of it is being driven by data and by analytics especially a shop like netflix wherein they have so much of that data and analytics um, to go from they know what we've watched they know where the drop is. They know we watched episodes one and two, but not three. And then they make those decisions off of the, the viewing habits, which is like, I think it's, uh, it, it's got the two sides to it, which is amazing that all they have all of that data and can make such well-informed decisions. And then on the other side, we're losing some of that human component. I had Mike Medavoy here talking to us a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about that as well. It's like, how are they making these decisions? Who's making well, these Well, yeah. Like, so for example, I'm involved with the studio and we're selling to that studio streamer. Okay. The process has been not smooth in the sense that, you know, they're both, oh, the streamer is definitely going to buy it, but they're also afraid somehow it doesn't get bought. You know, and and I'm like, well, you could just call them down the hall or whatever, or you know, <laughs> everything's on Zoom. So there's there's um, just a, um, a a nervousness, you know what I mean, and it's an anxiety, and it's it's interesting. And yet, I think one of the things is that the shows don't necessarily have to do well on the streamer. The streamers are not the success of the streamer is not based on viewing habits it's based on whatever it's based on but it's it, it's it's tied to the the stock value it's tied to the stock it's not tied to the audience and i think even that's confusing so that's weird yeah it's it's weird it's getting even more confusing with the recent dip in paramount's stock because they have star trek they have yellowstone so where's the problem and yet there there there's like a mismatch happening so i understand some of the anxiety of the executives at some of these places going wait a minute how are we how are we reinforcing our value what really actually is it at the end of the day and and maybe not knowing creates anxiety i mean i'm speculating but that's a thought that comes to mind so so all i can do is is what you know What's sort of liberating is to realize all of this stuff is out of my hands. I can just concentrate with who I choose to work with, what projects I work on, do I have something to say? And, 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 and so, so I used to pick projects in which, you know, I felt I could be the auteur and really get it done and da, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. And now I feel like it's such a crapshoot that I'm like, yeah, maybe that's going to go, or maybe that's going to So I literally have about, you know, 15 projects and every day, oh, this one, they need this. So this is on my desk today. 
when, oh, that script just went in, so I've got a week before they come back. Or, oh, I'm going to write up notes on this project, send it off to this producer. Oh, we're going to talk about it Friday. I don't have anything to do until Friday, but I'll have to work on it next week. So I'm constantly like shuffling this sort of stuff. That's why I feel like the where I want to be the a tour or the world builder or the, or my baby. I have to do that outside the parameters of TV right now. I personally feel that. Okay, I haven't heard that from other writers, but I sort of feel like I actually know a lot of novelists and short story writers. They're all trying to get into the TV pool. I'm going the other way, <laughs> you know. I'm trying to go the other way because I just feel it's it's so it's bananas. It's liberating to. I mean, I'm a novelist, right? And that's where I came up from, and that's what I I think maybe even love the most. Um, and it is really liberating. Of course, you work with your editor, but ultimately, it's your it's your words, and then the audience or your readers get to read your right, words, right. and you have a relationship with your readers and the people who have read you that feels um, feels almost intimate because it's so private. Reading a book, um, you can't you know all you can't have the whole family um, sit down in front of the book. <laughs> it's like mm -hmm. a private and intimate experience. And uh, I, I don't know, I've always really loved it. I probably will always write books. It seems like I'm always working on at least three different things, but there's always a book happening uh, mm -hmm. in whatever I'm doing. I'm wondering how you deal with the, uh, the ups and downs of this business, especially the failures and the challenges like the ones that you've just mentioned. Well, you know what? Um... I, I, it becomes very difficult. Okay. And a couple of thoughts about this. One is that I stay connected to the community of writers. Okay. I feel like that's important. Other writers understand this. Okay. My wife is not a writer. We don't really talk about my job. Okay. She just wants to know it's going well or something, but the minutia of what we deal with really sort of only other writers get that. Okay. So, so, and I've also, I think t taken a page by, you know, people during this pandemic that it's okay to say, yeah, it's not working for me right now, or it's not doing well. You know, like, um, last, uh, last week I was supposed to have lunch with somebody and, and I just was really not, doing it and feeling well. And I just wrote to them. And I say, listen, I would love to see you, but I just can't, I'm not in a space and whatever. And, and they were like, totally got it. You know what I mean? So I think it's okay to say when you're down, there's this whole thing that we all have to be enthusiastic, but what we do as writers is so difficult. You know what I mean? Where you're mining your emotional life and then you're rejected or people are dismissive about it because maybe it doesn't, it doesn't sell sneakers or whatever the hell it is, you know? So, so I think it's okay to sort of um, uh, say when we're hurting, you know, I think that's been sort of helpful. Um, I journal every day, you know, I, I do that. I meditate every day. And so I've sort of created a structure for myself where um, it's okay. And so one of the things that I would, uh, that I, I did have a breakthrough and if I could have a second to tell the story, so I, I sold this this um, script to a network, and I had some a big producer attached, and a you know another producer, and it's based on an IP a movie and stuff. 
and I write the script. Everyone loves the script. And the network is like kind of gives notes that gut the script. Okay. You know what I mean? That just change it or whatever. And for, for no reason. So it took me about nine months to figure out how to address those notes because I lost my personal connection. So I ended up finding it and sort of did something. I wrote a, a different script and then they came back and were like, well, we love this draft, but now we're missing stuff from the first script, that kind of stuff. Okay. But anyway, so, so I, I wrote that and then they ended up passing. This is the project just died. But what I realized is that I went through such hell writing that script. And there were so many days of frustration where I was at my desk and I write in a notebook facing the blank page and all of this, that the imposter syndrome I had completely disappeared because clearly I'm a writer because why would any non-writer put themselves through such torture? You know what I'm saying? Like, of course I'm a writer. Look what I'm doing. I'm a, a, a masochist to, t- to tell a story, to write a story that is just going to get thrown out. Okay? I mean, what kind of lunatic would do that? So I was like, well, okay, well, at least I lost that baggage, <laughs> you know, of the <laughs> imposter syndrome. Am I not good enough? And so then the other day, I was just thinking like, you know, I have stories to tell. It's an idiotic business. I know how to tell a story. I'm telling you a story right now. You all seem engaged. You know what I mean? So, so it's just a matter of me lining this up at the right time. Da, 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 da. So it's not me. They're all crazy. That's what I've come to understand over the, uh, coming out of this pandemic. Yeah, I'm puttering around in my, you know, my, my office and everything. And, you know, but I'm not the crazy one. And I would say, you know, you guys are probably not the crazy ones. It's a crazy business. And I understand that. So that's been sort of liberating. So that's how I deal with it. It ain't me. It's them. (laughs) (laughs) There's your enlightenment for you. Yeah. You've arrived. Glenn, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate you for coming on the show, for being here with us. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Entertainment Business Wisdom. We invite you to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Please like, review, and share it with your friends and colleagues. Kaya Alexander can be reached on Twitter for your questions or comments at This Is Kaya. Get entertainment business career training as well as a free special report, How to Pitch Anything in One Minute, at www.entertainmentbusinessleague.com Thank you.